This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. I am so excited for you to listen to today's episode. We are in conversation with my friend Shannon McNarma. Shannon is the creator and podcaster behind Fluently Forward a celebrity gossip and conspiracy theory podcast and platform. And today's conversation really is a little gossipy, a little pop culture, current event, newsworthy. And it all stems from the themes that we like to explore here on EcoChic around conscious consumerism, around brand awareness, fast fashion. I was working on this episode for quite some time and it really started as a profile of Les Wexner. And as I continue to do research, as I continue to just consume myself with stories to build this episode into something really strong and like almost investigative journalism-ish, I've really come to believe that you cannot talk about Les Wexner and the brands that he founded and associated himself with throughout his career without talking about the cultural implications. So I'm so excited that Shannon is here to talk to us because it's a conversation where I hope you learn a lot about the core topics that I was setting out to share with you, but also it gives you a lot to think about when we talk about the zeitgeist of the late 90s, early 2000s, mall culture, consumerism as we know it today. I want us to start with a little bit of background of why I was so interested in profiling Les Wexner. He is an American billionaire. He is the founder of L Brands. And L Brands is a large, large company that owns all of the mall brands that we know and love. So L Brands owned The Limited, Victoria's Secret, Abercrombie & Fitch, Express, Bath & Body Works. I say owned in past tense because they have since broken up into some smaller companies after Les Wexner's retirement. So for example, Limited 2 is now owned by one of their subsidiary companies called Tween Brands. There were, of course, some acquisitions and expansions during the height of L Brands. So for example, after they were having success with all of those mall brands I previously mentioned, L Brands acquired Henry Vendel. Their arguably most iconic and successful expansion was the launch of Victoria's Secret Pink, which is still its own brand, which still has its own stores, but it's definitely a spin-off of the building on the success of Victoria's Secret, which was one of the most profitable and arguably probably the most iconic of the L Brands groups. Now, all this considered, I think is especially interesting when we discuss Les Wexner's involvement in the current fast fashion cycle or the way that fast fashion is really marketed and sold to consumers. Les Wexner was a master marketer. Now, he did not invent fast fashion. Brands like H&M and Zara were founded in the mid-70s and really founded with the intention of creating low-priced pieces that folks could look at as disposable to some extent. Pieces that shoppers did not have to keep forever. We've spoken in the past on the show about how fast fashion and fast furniture and all of these other topics have only gotten faster over time, and that's something that Shannon and I do discuss today. But just keep in mind the fast fashion of the mid-70s or of this height of mall culture of the 90s, early 2000s is not the same fast fashion that we are being fed today. The reason I mentioned that Les Wexner is associated so closely with fast fashion and fast fashion marketing is that he's really credited with being the first person to do market assessments in malls. He's really the first person that is credited with a large-scale surveying of consumers, and he is the person that figured out people were going to malls more frequently than shops originally believed they were. He's the person who proposed the idea we need to be giving people more to look at on a more frequent basis because they're constantly in the malls. 
they will buy more if they are seeing more because they are at the mall so frequently. We talk a little bit in this conversation about his origin story into business, but I want to continue to give you a little bit of background if you've never heard the story before. Les Wexner is from Ohio. His parents owned a women's clothing store that was named after him, Leslie's. His parents went on vacation after Les had graduated college, and he and his brother were taking over the store, just kind of like maintaining the store while they were gone. And during this time, he started to analyze sales and inventory, and he figured out what was the most profitable, what was the least profitable, what people were buying most frequently, and what people were the most interested in. And he proposed to his parents that they adjust their inventory to kind of match that consumer insight that he had. His parents weren't receptive, and then he started his own store, The Limited. The Limited was founded in 1963, the very first store. The second store was open in 1964, and then just five years later in 1969, Limited Brands, which eventually became L Brands, went public on the New York Stock Exchange. From there, he continued to build out his retail empire, and a lot of that was done by acquisitions. So Victoria's Secret is a really famous story of an acquisition where there was a local lingerie store. He met with the husband and wife owners. It was a single store that had just filed for bankruptcy and Les Wexner purchased the company for a million dollars. And he really created the Victoria's Secret that we knew of the 80s, of that gold label era of Victoria's Secret. Just 10 years later, by 1990, the brand was worth $1 billion. And today's conversation with Shannon originally really intended to unpack Victoria's Secret. Why was it such a successful brand? Why is it so profitable to target women? And what was this toxic culture around Victoria's Secret, around body image, and how did that impact the culture of the time of, again, the height of that 90s era Victoria's Secret model? Now, if you're feeling like you've heard a little bit about this before, but didn't know all the business background, maybe you've heard Les Wexner's name, it is likely because of his very, very close relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein was Les Wexner's financial manager, hired sometime in the 1980s, and Jeffrey Epstein continued to be his financial manager through 2007, and even afterwards, they maintained a very, very close friendship. It's alleged that Les Wexner was the primary billionaire client of Jeffrey Epstein. We talk, again, a lot more about this in the conversation with Shannon, so I don't want to give too much away, but I also wanted to give this context of their relationship because in a lot of the early conversations that the mainstream media was having around Jeffrey Epstein, especially in 2019, centered around his relationship with the Victoria's Secret brand and how he would use that brand to lure women. In 2019, Les Wexner stepped down and formally retired from L Brands. And I think there's a lot of reasons that he retired and finally stepped down. I mean, for one, he is 86 years old. Like, from an aging perspective, it was just time for him. But this was also around the time that the Jeffrey Epstein trial was really gaining a lot of media traction. And he was the one that was most highlighted, I suppose, of Jeffrey Epstein's relationships within the press. Again, the Victoria's Secret brand having been such a large part of his story and his tactics. And there are, of course, many allegations against Les Wexner himself. But until this week, Les Wexner was really one of the only people that we as the public knew significant amounts of information on relating to his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. So he was kind of the only person within that story, within that circle, that saw an immediate impact on his life. And that impact being, of course, his retirement, the prompting of him stepping down from L Brands. And he had served as CEO of L Brands for 57 years by 2020 which makes him the longest serving CEO of a Fortune 500 company. If you're interested in zooming into any of the discussions today more closely, I have a couple of recommendations. Of course, I'll have some links in the show notes if you want to read an article or two, but I would also highly recommend the Hulu documentary, Victoria's Secret Angels and Demons. It came out in early 2022. And it really focuses on like the inner workings of Victoria's Secret, the brand, how it came to be, the fashion show, its impact on culture. And of course, Les Wexner is a very big part of that. And then his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein is highlighted in a bit of that documentary as well. And there was also a really good documentary series, four-part series on Netflix of Jeffrey Epstein. And there was an episode that focused very keenly on his use of the Victoria's Secret brand and how he kind of represented himself as a recruiter for Victoria's Secret, even though the truth was that he was Les Wexner's financial manager, financial planner, and held power of attorney over Les Wexner at that point. 
Shannon's podcast, Fluently Forward, also has an episode of Victoria's Secret, and they talk more specifically about the models. I'll have that linked in the show notes as well. And I think with all that background, we are ready to get into today's conversation with Shannon McNarma all about Les Wexner. We're talking Angels, Epstein, the creation of fast fashion. I am so fascinated about how this conversation unraveled. I would love to do more conversations like this in the future. I feel like this is such an interesting way to understand how we as consumers have been targeted in the past and how it links to these bigger conversations we're having, these current events that we're seeing reported in the news. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it on your Instagram story, share it in the family group chat, share it with your friends, and I will have all my social links down below if you want to see some podcast clips from today's conversation with Shannon. And if this is your first time here, just double check that you're subscribed wherever you're listening, if that's Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Let's get in. I hope you enjoy. The Les Wexner Victoria's Secret story has everything from like conspiracy to model scandals to Justin Bieber. Like it's just got a little bit of everything. Oh, gosh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I am really excited about the conspiracy theory portion, I think, because for a long time in my head, Victoria's Secret was this icon of, of course, like the beauty standards that women were held to in the 90s and the early 2000s. But it also was such a brand culture, even in our youth when they introduced pink. And it was like this interesting not even necessarily status symbol, but like a lifestyle that you could really buy into. And it was one of our first examples of what a brand lifestyle would really look like. So I'm just really fascinated by like the culture they created around Victoria's Secret. Yeah, pink was always interesting to me because they took like three things that you really can't sexify, which is like teenagers, um, loungewear and activewear and they were like let's make all of it sexy like sexy sweatpants like sexy shorts for running in and like it's going to be sexy for kids and it was just like those are three things you really can't I don't know like slutify but they somehow managed to do it yeah no but even just like the idea of like that being our first exposure to things like yoga pants like why mm. did yoga pants come from Victoria's Secret like why was that there? Brainchild. And why was the butt always bedazzled? So that way why was the butt down, always bedazzled? like a bunch of rhinestones? Yeah, d- dug into your butt cheeks. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it starts even earlier. I'm thinking of like vintage Victoria's Secret things that are like really coveted in the thrift store. Those gold label Victoria's Secret, and I love knowing a little bit more about like the original story. So I want you to like fill in my gaps if you can. So it's my understanding that when Les Wexner purchased a lingerie store, which ultimately became the Victoria's Secret brand as we know it. This idea of Victoria was really one of our first exposures to like a persona of a brand, like a person, an influencer essentially uh, being behind a brand. And the story of Victoria was like, she's this woman in the English countryside or Connecticut or something. She like rides horses and she's really elegant. And like, this is where she buys her lingerie. And there was so much smoke and mirrors in the early days of like, who is this woman? Have we found her? Is she a real person? And ultimately we learned she is not a real person, but it was one of our first like consumer exposures to a persona, I suppose, of a brand. Yeah. You see people using this for a lot of things, even like Gossip Girl, right? Like the first season was like, who is Gossip Girl? But then you don't care because you're watching or like Pretty Little Liars. So you're like, who is A? But then you just keep watching and you kind of forget that that or even like How I Met Your Mother, the whole first season, everybody wants to know who the mother is, but then you forget. And I kind of think of that for Victoria's Secret. Like at first, everybody was like, who is Victoria? And then after a while, it was like, okay, it's just bras and panties. But I think that idea of like, there's something to uncover here. There's like a mysterious person or something that you have to figure out. It's just like this really entrancing, I don't know, type of method that people use. Yeah, and I feel like it also leans really interestingly into like hyper consumption. So Victoria's Secret being one of the first brands that we really saw fast fashion take a mainstream through is interesting to me because it is such a female focused brand. And we know women are the primary shoppers and women are the ones that are idealizing this Victoria woman, whoever she is. And the more you think about the value of that persona being like an entry point, We no longer, like you said, like we no longer care who she is, but we all kind of like in some level want to be her through shopping there. Like the smoke and mirrors of the store is what keeps you. 
Yeah, I mean, Les Wexner is really, I think that there's some people who are like millionaires, billionaires who didn't really like deserve it or get their own talent. But unfortunately, even though I think he's a little bit evil, Les Wexner is really smart. Like his, I remember, cause we did a Victoria's Secret episode over on Fluently Forward. And I just remember, I mean, first of all, he was named Leslie. So I think he like was dealing with that growing up. His dad was so tough on him, like incredibly tough on him. His parents had their store, right? It was named after Leslie and they had a clothing store. And when their parents were away on vacation, Les and his brother took over it for like a week. And he did all of this inventory profit margin stuff. And he found out that nobody was buying these high end jackets, but they were selling the cheap blouses like crazy. So he pitched to his parents, like, why don't we change the model of what we're doing and sell more of these blouses? And his dad was basically like, you're an idiot. Like, you're not my son. Like, you will never do this. So when his dad died and he started his own company, The Limited, that was everything that they did, right? They were like, it's just a limited amount of clothing. If anything, like it started off kind of sustainable. And he was just like, we're only going to make what you need, just a few basics. That did really well. And then it seemed like he started to go into Victoria's Secret, Abercrombie and Fitch, just kind of like acquiring all of these other methods that weren't as true to like the original concept that he started with. I love that you gave that background. Thank you so much. I knew the story of the limited very vaguely and i think it's because i started focusing on on the purchasing of victoria's secret as a standalone laundry store essentially like him building out l brands and the limited is also interesting because it was again like you said a limited amount of clothing and it was really just like the working woman like just you need to get your basics but even that like, idea too like the limited it does sound exclusive you know like right. they they find a way to to add a little sprinkle of like you want it but you can't have it to like everything that they did Abercrombie and Fitch Victoria's Secret even the basic clothes they're limited so you got to get them now you know yeah Abercrombie and Fitch is another one that's like these personas, these models on the wall, like these really (laughs) coveted teenage boys that are like hanging out at the store. And that's also not ultimately what you're buying. They're just like bringing you into this environment. So many celebrities were um, Abercrombie models. Like I know Jennifer Lawrence was, Taylor Swift was. Like I don't know what they were doing, but they were almost kind of like the Mickey Mouse Club for like talent or something. Like most people who modeled for Abercrombie and Fitch went on to do something later in life, which is like also unusual. I knew that, but I totally didn't make the connection. That's such a good point. I don't know. I, you, maybe it was like a pay to play type of thing because I know that both of them like grew up kind of OK, I think. Um, but I don't know. There's just something that he's Les Wexner is a fantastic marketer. He's really good at that. Yeah. And I also feel like this concept of like on on the marketing side, like these fake sales, like he was really the inventor of urgency around purchasing. Right. So like um even what we associate as like classic deals like victoria's secret the five for 25 panties the bath and body works two for 20 candles like these fake moments of you feel like you're buying into the lifestyle at a bargain essentially is always also wrong because the brand will always be profiting i think a lot of people forget that too like these moments of sales especially now around the holidays like these moments that you feel like you're getting a good deal are also all made up. And Les Wexner is really to credit for that hyper-consumption mindset. Yeah, I really can't. Like, the the fact that Victoria's Secret gets away with selling some thongs for, like, you know, like $100 plus, the amount of fabric that it takes to make a G-string, it should be free. Like, it, it's just absolutely crazy to me. And even, like, when you're in Victoria's Secret, too, like... I don't know, the the display has its own like vibe and aesthetic. And then you even like have that situation of you get measured for a bra and they always say that you're two cup sizes bigger than you actually are. There's just like so many things about Victoria's Secret that are smoke and mirrors, including your cup size. The cup size thing is also interesting because it's like an interesting rite of passage for a young girl to have been measured at a Victoria's Secret. I wonder if they still do that. I, I assume that they would, but maybe they're a little bit more do. honest about it now. But it's like There's this rite like of passage that's a lie. Yeah, oh, 100%. But it makes you feel so good, especially when you are at that young age where you're like a double A cup, but then you go there and they say that you're a B. Like, it makes you feel good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about buying you into the brand. Like, you feel like you belong there. Like, you're suddenly important because you're shopping at Victoria's Secret. Mm -hmm. Or for all those stores. I mean, 
I feel like this is a perfect segue to talk a little bit about body image in the lens of Victoria's Secret and in the lens of all the L Brands groups. I feel like the limited was probably the most accurate of these. But when we talk about especially like Abercrombie and Fitch, that was a brand that we know very well tailored its sizes much, much smaller than was ever accurate. Or like Victoria's Mm -hmm. Secret, like you're mentioning, the cup sizes are always incorrect. And this like false understanding that these major iconic mall brands completely warped our collective sense of sizing. Oh, yeah. The sizing at Abercrombie and Fitch was ridiculous. And then also, even too, when you went into the store, it was like so dark. It was so heavily perfumed. You're both like understimulated but overstimulated. There's like hot people around you, but like normal people as well. Everything about those stores was just kind of like a fever dream. It was almost more of like an experience than like an actual store. I think that's a good way to put it, that it's an experience over an actual store, because it makes me think of like mall culture at the time. Like when we're talking... 90s early 2000s mall culture of like this was the third place where people were hanging out and Mm -hmm. this is what we were constantly surrounded by in our free time as again as a collective like these really hyper specific like store personalities why are we all just like hanging around all of this weird marketing all the time and that was the norm and like no one questioned it at the time which is interesting, too, because, like, you're right. We used to go to malls all that, like, every weekend you would go to the mall. You would maybe catch a movie at the mall. You would go to the food court. Now they're most, like, the most depressing place to ever go to. But we kind of do the same thing because we follow a bunch of store companies on Instagram. So that's kind of, like, you know, people say that the new third place is online. And, like, we are looking at content. You know, we're not physically inside of the store, but we're still looking at all of the same products, spending the same amount of time there. I also think that the idea of the internet being a third place is interesting in the wake of a lot of these revelations about L Brands groups. So Victoria's Secret, I think the one that we're talking about the most, having been such a force for like really toxic body image standards, especially the fashion show, which we definitely need to talk about. But the idea that the fashion show was canceled, now that we're seeing it brought back, the internet is where people are going to talk about it. The internet is where people are going to like be up in arms about the new Victoria's Secret. And it's interesting the way that people react. But the way that we've grown with these brands, we feel some sort of like obligation to not necessarily support them, but like they're definitely a part of our culture at this point. And taking it one step further, when we try to like rebrand them and bring them into the modern era, it just doesn't work anymore. It's just because it's not, that was never meant to exist in like a perfectly equitable, aware consumer society for any of these brands. Well, it's funny too, because like a lot of people, at least the places I've been seeing this online, I've kind of noticed the pendulum swing where at first everybody was like, this show is awful. Like there's a lack of diversity across like every single factor in this show. Then it got canceled. And then people were like, actually, bring it back. We kind of liked the hotties, you know? I feel like we're almost reaching for this, like, early 2000s nostalgia of, like, we want, like, an early 2000s pop star and we, like, miss the age of the rom-com and, like, we miss when things were, like, so different back then. But you forget that, like, so many heinous things also came with the early 2000s. So you really can't, like, completely replicate it without having that. So I think it's going to be interesting what happens. I honestly don't know why Victoria's Secret didn't just shut down and then start a new lingerie company with all of the same board members and a different name and try to fool people. It probably would have worked. Quick break to tell you about Just Thrive. It's estimated that some 80 to 90 percent of Americans suffer from some gut issue. Gas, bloating, constipation, indigestion, heartburn, acid reflux, you name it. And according to research, 99.9% of probiotics don't even make it to your gut. We also know that 70 to 90% of your immune system lives in your gut, and it's the core of our health. Just Thrive's proprietary strains have been third-party clinically tested and proved to arrive 100% alive in your gut. They're the only brand with patented strains HU36, which provides antioxidants in the gut. Just Thrive probiotics even address the hardest to combat issues like leaky gut in just 30 days. Just Thrive's probiotics provide immune support, boost your energy, improve your sleep, promote healthy skin, and encourage healthy weight management and support that gut-brain connection we all value. For a limited time, you can save 20% off a 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic or Just Calm at justthrivehealth.com with promo code ECOCHIC. 
That's like getting a month for free, all with a money back guarantee. Again, that's justthrivehealth.com with promo code ECOCHIC for 20% off your 90-day bottle. I love the probiotic and highly suggest you also check out their Just Calm. Back to the show. You're honestly probably right. I think also this is the perfect time to talk about like the cancellation of Victoria's Secret. I feel like people were finally waking up, of course, to their impact on our body image and on the collective understanding of like what is acceptable for a woman. Um, But you can't talk about Les Wexner stepping down in 2020. You can't talk about the Victoria's Secret fashion show and the impact that they had on culture without also talking about Jeffrey Epstein, because these were scandals that were happening at the same time. The cancellation of Victoria's Secret and the information that the public was starting to learn more and more about about Jeffrey Epstein. So I would love to get your take on, I suppose, the timing of Victoria's Secret cancellation. I think it was already going to be happening. I think it's interesting that like him stepping down because of the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, he's really the only person who suffered from Jeffrey Epstein. Like Jeffrey Epstein died, was killed, who knows. Um, Ghislaine Maxwell is in prison. Les Wexner stepped down. Nothing happened to anyone else. Like Alan Dershowitz is still around. Like that guy from J.P. Morgan Chase is still around. Prince Andrew is freaking still around. Like he's really the only one who suffered from it. So we know they were incredibly close. Like they worked together all the time. Jeffrey and Ghislaine would hang out at Les's um, guest house. He gave his mansion in New York on 71st Street to Jeffrey Epstein for a sweetheart deal of like two million, even though I think it's worth like 60 million or something. Um, they were buddies for a long time. There were even rumors of like a gay relationship between them. There's like all of this crazy stuff. But the fact that he stepped down because of Jeffrey Epstein, I just feel like it must have been that he was over it. Like he already wanted to step down. To me, he just doesn't seem like a guy who would willingly be like, you know what? I am a baddie. Like time for me to leave. That just didn't really seem like him. So I just kind of feel like he maybe he was already over with it and he knew that Victoria's Secret would have to change to keep up with the times. Um, So he left for that purpose. But I don't know. And like him leaving, I don't think that Les like poisoned Victoria's Secret from the inside out, right? Like this isn't a man who I think knows everything about bras and like the woman's experience. I think he is just a marketer at the end of the day. So I think that if there were nefarious, insidious things happening at Victoria's Secret, which there were, I don't think, well, it splits into two camps. The nefarious things of having the models, you know, be picked allegedly by some of these people that worked with Jeffrey Epstein, um, and, you know, the harm of the models, I think that was on less. But I think the idea of, like, body image and making girls feel bad and uncomfortable in their skin, I think that was more of, like, everybody that was hired at Victoria's Secret and what they were meant to do. Right. Like, the culture that came along with all of the toxicity that was happening at a high level. Yeah. I just think, I don't know. And even though... I know Victoria's Secret is trying to change, and I think, you know, you've been seeing some more diversity in their model photo shoots. Like, I just still think it's not a good company. And it's also like, this isn't some sort of like country or like, you know, airline that the bank needs to bail out. This is Victoria's Secret. Just like, let it die and build a new company. You're never going to be able to come back from the reputation that you had for like 25 plus years. Yeah. It's also interesting to compare it to a brand like, we'll use the limited again, I mean, the idea that the limited has always kind of just like been the same thing or like limited to now justice has always been targeted towards those young girls. And there was no effort to make limited to what ultimately like pink by Victoria's Secret became, even though they're targeting very similar age groups, right? Like that Mm preteen kind of teenage age group. Um, I guess Justice Victoria's Secret would be marketed towards like girls a little bit younger. But for the most part, like when you talk about young girls, they knew exactly who they were marketing towards. And it's like there are girls who are sexualized at a very young age that fall into one store brand. And there are girls who do not and they fall into the other brand. So the idea that there are some brands that have prevailed is also interesting because those are not the brands that we're associating with culture in the same way like personas or environments like we talked about at the top like even bath and body works like i have no idea how they're doing financially i don't know anyone who's like still actively shopping there the way that they did in the mid 2000s but 
Victoria's Secret has had a very different trajectory, likely because of obviously like all of the culture around it compared to all of these other L brand groups that do not have that same like physical store environment or like physical persona that you're buying into. Yeah, Victoria's Secret also like they did find a good gap in the marketplace where like if, you know, if I'm not shopping at Bath and Body Works, I could go to like Whole Foods, Target, CVS. I could get like a spray or a lotion anywhere. If I'm not shopping at the Limited, I could do Gap, Old Navy, Banana Republic, anything is there. If I'm not shopping at Victoria's Secret, there's other places I can think of. Like I guess I would say Airy, maybe I would say Fenty, even though like I've never bought anything from them and like I think a new report came out that their ethical practices are like obscenely horrible. But other than that, it's like maybe Gap Body. Like there's not the one-stop shop lingerie shop. I mean, there is, but it's agent provocateur and nobody has $700 to spend on a G-string. So they did a really good job of kind of cornering that market where, you know, I see on Reddit all the time people being like, ladies, where are you buying your underwear? Like if we're not getting it from Victoria's Secret, where are we getting it from? And, you know, there's some options, but there's not, like, the one-stop shop like Victoria's Secret was. So they they just did a good job of finding that niche and making it their own. Right. And there's options now. But, like, historically, like, Aerie has not been as big as it always was. I mean, like, Gap Potty, I guess, we always had. But Gap Potty tailored itself to a very different woman than Victoria's Secret did. Yeah. And I know because I'm a Gap Potty woman. Like, so many of my undies are from Gap. But uh, that's the thing. Like, if you want... If you want like a cute lingerie set for your boyfriend and you don't want it to be sheen or Fenty quality and you don't want it to be agent provocateur quality, there's nothing in the middle. There's really only Victoria's Secret. Or you could do what I do, which is buy it from Depop or eBay. But then you're wearing someone else's lingerie, you know, so then that brings up a whole other thing. That's true. That's a whole different rabbit hole to go down of like buying lingerie secondhand. But I also think it's interesting that like all of these brands that are the alternatives we're saying like... This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Gap, for example, like Gap is a fast fashion brand, but we don't immediately think of it as fast fashion because they're pieces that are meant to be more uh, like universal. Like these are more stable pieces that'll be in your wardrobe for a long time, whether or not they were created under like perfectly ethical conditions, which they weren't. But not as sexy. Like forever, it's not sexy. Easy that they're fast fashion because they're so trendy. But Gap is like a picnic and a white T-shirt and a dad throwing a baseball to his son, you know, like you don't think that it's fast fashion because it's just like not as cool. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then with a brand like Victoria's Secret, you're okay that it's fast fashion because you don't want to pay any other price. You kind of rationalize it and you are seeing the trend cycles come through. You're seeing that they have, you know, 10,000 different designs of underwear in the same year, but you don't need to think that deeply about it. You decide because it's like, at a price that you're comfortable with. And it's the only thing in your price point in the marketplace. Yeah. And you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, somebody should start a lingerie rental service with like impeccable dry cleaning and like so much sanitization. But the thing is like, you know, Victoria's Secret, okay, nobody really bought their perfume. Although, did you read that there's a study that their bombshell perfume actually protects against mosquito bites? I did read that. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, well, then I bought it and it didn't work for me. So I don't know oh. if they paid someone for that study. Like I got eaten alive when I used it, but whatever. That's just me personally. But like they have, you know, the beauty, they have the undies, the bras, the loungewear, their swim line, which I actually think was really good. Um, and then the lingerie. And like you said, you want to buy underwear for cheap. But I think lingerie rentals should exist because it's hard to spend like $200 on a lingerie set. You don't want to be wearing the same thing again and again. Like you want to mix it up each time. So I think they should do, if anyone at Victoria's Secret is listening, they should start a rental service. Oh my God. Wait, that's such a good idea. Like a newly for underwear. Yeah. Cause like (laughs) then when it's your anniversary, Valentine's day, like you throw a couple different sets on, but you don't I mean, I have some sets I'm like, once I wear it once, I have to wait like a year to wear it again, you know? (laughs) It's funny, too, that like 
now I'm seeing so many collaborations with Victoria's Secret around lingerie, like their Love and Lemons collaboration that they had for quite some time. Like I want to say it was over a year and they came out with sets once a season and they went super viral. People were obsessed with this big brand now being at like a relatively affordable price point because it was a collaboration with Victoria's Secret. And like you said, like that's something that you're really not wearing all that often, but you're telling yourself like, I can afford to buy it because it's finally at this more fast fashion price point. So like I deserve this one set of lingerie. Yeah, yeah. And they got like, I hate to say it, they did have a really cute collaboration. Like everything in that is something that I would have bought. Yeah, no, it was it was really, really cute. And also there's times in the fashion trend cycle where we're seeing lingerie become more and more accepted as like a clothing item. It's part of your overall outfit. Like it's part of what you're investing in for your wardrobe. And it's something that as we talk more about it, it's interesting that these are like, they're pieces that you're using over and over again when we're talking purely about underwear, not lingerie, but like you should want to invest money in that. Like that's something that you should have like high quality underwear. You're gonna like, how often are you really replacing your underwear? Like it doesn't have to be five for 25. It, I will sometimes hold on to my underwear for years. I think there's like oh, yeah. a from college I still have. That's like a decade old piece of underwear. So I mean, but I will say the Victoria's Secret ones, like they do fall apart and I still have them. <laughs> I also think that there's now this shapewear category that was not nearly as normalized in conversation as it was during the height of Victoria's Secret. So while we've had Spanx and Sarah Blakely, Spanx was something that was like kind of a secret and now we have skims and like people are very proud to talk about their shapewear and talk about wearing skims. And Mm -hmm. it's such a different landscape for women's undergarments than ever existed during the height of Victoria's Secret. Yeah, it's interesting how like people are proud to talk about it, but it's still an object that we wear to make ourselves slimmer you know what I mean so it's like oh it's like it's empowering that we can talk about it but the item itself you know I mean I personally like it because it makes me sometimes you know yeah eat a little bit too much food before you go out or something like that and you want to like tone things down um also period underwear is another thing that Victoria's Secret now makes period underwear along with other companies I could not imagine in the early 2000s, having Victoria's Secret align themselves with anything menstruation related whatsoever, because like menstruation that's, isn't sexy. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. And then even just the way that we're talking about undergarments with the internet, like the way that we're talking about undergarments so openly now is very different from that time in that the Victoria's Secret fashion show was one of the only times we were seeing women in underwear. Like that was so exciting to the public because it was something that was really never done and it's not like we're seeing people in bras and underwear like all over the internet but we're seeing it far more often than we were as children you know like you and I we're seeing it far more often than America was seeing it in the 90s and 2000s and it's also something that's become like far less shiny because of that like I think we as a society are far less shocked by things now than we were at the time like we've just seen so much more we've accessed to so much more and so the rise of the fashion show being something that was like kind of scandalous and exciting doesn't necessarily need to exist in the same capacity anymore because yeah, we have they it. also did a good job too of like yes it was the hottest woman you had ever seen in your life and their underwear walking up and down the stage but they did such a good job of adding all of these different angles where like the models would be dating people in the audience so you get a peek at adam levine cheering when you watch it and you know who's going to be singing taylor swift is holding hands with carly claus and it looks like rihanna is friends with one of the girls so like let's watch for that relationship so they really made it such like an entertainment spectacle I mean, and you mentioned earlier Justin Bieber, like we were having singers for the first time at a fashion show. We also, to my knowledge, like this was the first like truly publicized fashion show that was on regular cable TV. Like we did not have any access to the fashion world as a public, which is also interesting because now you're seeing like anyone can go to New York Fashion Week. But at the time, this was like such a coveted thing that Victoria's Secret like let their consumers in on, which was also interesting and special and like such a smart, smart marketing technique yeah wait can anyone go to the fashion week i thought you had to get invited 
I think it's now, as of last year or the year before, anyone can go to Fashion Week. You do have to get invited to, like, some of the shows, of course. But a lot of the shows are now just, like, ticketed things you can buy a ticket to. Oh, okay. Interesting. You know, fashion tries to... They make themselves so exclusive, but then they want everybody to buy their product. Like, it's such a fine line to walk of being like, oh, my God, like, you want us, but you can't have us, but you can for a price, but not everybody can, but just you can for the, you know, like, they do such a good job of seeming like a little bit out of touch, but also something that you can grasp if you just, you know, spend half your paycheck. Oh, yeah. I'll send you an article and I'll link some in the show notes, too. There was a lot of conversation online last year after Fashion Week about how Fashion Week should be more exclusive. And similar to like the Victoria's Mm -hmm. Secret conversation is that we wanted fashion to be so accessible that now because everyone has access to it, it's kind of lost its sheen Um, when it comes to Fashion Week. Like the exciting part of Fashion Week was seeing these hyper celebrities at shows and seeing like the exclusivity of it from a consumer standpoint and we no longer have that. So it's interesting also to see the discourse of like how people want some things to stay exclusive i also wonder if fashion too on a whole is just a little bit less exciting because you know how fashion is cyclical right like the same things go through all these different trends because there's only so many things you know you can do with garments on the body and we've kind of already done a full lap around right so like you had you know the 50s housewives dresses then you had the flapper dresses then you had the cool looks of the 90s then you had the low cut everything in the belly shirts of the early 2000s and now we're back where gen z is like repeating the high-waisted pants and the crop tops and the crochet and like we're already seeing aspects that have been used before So unless we take it back to like the Bridgerton era, I just think fashion shows are a little less exciting now because people are doing things that are new, but everything's kind of been recycled at this point. Whereas like 20 years ago, there was still still some stuff that was new. Right. And it's interesting too, the way that not only have we seen these cycles and like consumer trends and like fashion trends, but even the way that we think about like body image standards, for example, like I think we as consumers have done an incredible job of like coming around to recognizing brands like Victoria's Secret had a really negative impact on our understanding of body standards. But every once in a while, there's always a headline that's like heroin chic is back. Ultra skinny Mm. is back. Like these concepts of really toxic fashion standards, body standards are always kind of looming over our heads. Like we're always a little threatened that they're coming back or like every once in a while you'll see a headline of like the Kardashians got their butt implants out, like butts are out, like butts. And it's like, well, (laughs) I thought we had gotten to a point where we were all just like accepting each other's bodies because of this. And it just is really unfortunate that even in the way that we're understanding ourselves, no one is ever truly satisfied as a collective. Like no one has ever truly gotten to a point where we're just done talking about bodies. Yeah, dude, it's just the fact that it's called heroin chic is like so incredibly like unreal. And like, yeah, people being like butts are out. So like cut off your butt, like nobody have a butt anymore because their Kardashians got theirs removed. I I feel like since post-COVID, everyone's obviously been like a little bit down. It hasn't been like the best three years, four years. Um, and I feel like we have been... I don't know, this is kind of like existential, but I feel like we haven't really had a community post-COVID, right? Everybody's been siloed off, like tech, recession, wars, like it's just been so brutal that I feel like a lot of people get, develop this nostalgia for how things used to be. And in trying to go back to how things used to be, they're not picking up the methods that they should of like a healthy economy and like there was like good music and like, uh, you know, there were rom-coms everywhere and like you had dinner with your family and like that was what you liked or you were in college, all your friends were around you. So instead they pick and choose these aspects of like heroin chic or fashion or like a TV show that they binge to try to kind of like transport themselves back there. And it's like you're picking up on some of the factors of what was good, but not like what you truly want like I think people wanted the feeling of the time when people were heroin chic but like good god let's not like have people be heroin chic yeah I mean oh god that's such a good way to put it like people are yearning for this nostalgia and I get it like I'm a girl who loves Y2K I'm a girl who loves a juicy swimsuit but like those are not the pillars that I want to live my life by you know I want it from a cultural perspective but like I can't buy into 
that lifestyle. There's a limit that you have to mentally have. I don't know if I'm explaining myself well, but you have to like recognize that there's a boundary there. You can be excited about these things without going full heroin chic again or like you can you yeah. can be excited about these things without like letting go of all of the learning you've done in the last few years yeah just buy a lava lamp you know and see if that gets you there like I yeah. bought Uggs for Black Friday because I was like you know I never had them as a kid and they were always so cool and maybe if I had them I'd feel cool and maybe they are comfy they were not comfy I ended up returning them they just like and you know maybe the quality has gone downhill but there's a lot of things where I'm sure now if I got a juicy couture tracksuit it wouldn't fit nearly as nice as I think that it would because as a kid you know like you just assign all of this value to it I don't think as a kid we picked up on quality like you didn't really know what was good quality when you were in high school no and also I've talked about this kind of recently on an episode but the idea of that fast fashion has only gotten faster over time I think people are really lost on that idea it's kind of funny to think that these brands that we're associating now is like the mall fast fashion brands H&M Zara Forever 21 have been around for long enough that there is now vintage Forever 21. And vintage Forever 21 is arguably good quality. It's like quality of the 90s, of the time. Mm. Um, And it's funny because even with things like um, Ikea, fast furniture, people will say like, oh, I've had an Ikea desk for 20 years and it's actually doing great. And it's like, well, the quality that you got at Ikea 20 years ago is not the same that you're getting today. Like everything has only gotten faster in our consumer cycles. So the idea that you can have old fast fashion is also kind of, it's a little mind boggling sometimes to people. Like there's nothing wrong necessarily with like thrifting these things or there's nothing wrong with like buying things that are already in the cycle. But what you were getting, that juicy couture that you were getting in the 90s is not the same that you're getting now or is not the same that you're getting from Victoria's Secret now. Even like the Victoria's Secret of our high school days, like we're not that old, but like the Victoria's Secret that we were buying 10 years ago is much better quality than the Victoria's Secret on sale today. And it's happening with even like the quote unquote high brands. Like I have a pair of Lululemon leggings from high school that still are great on me. But then I have a pair that I bought like a couple years ago and it's just like, it's just like not as good quality. So even the places that are charging like an arm and a leg, they're also getting shittier quality, which is like incredible. Yeah. Did you hear about the, um, the Betty Crocker scandal? No. What Betty Crocker scandal? So they're doing it with food too. And I actually, I found this because I baked a Betty Crocker like box food cake the other day and it just like fell apart when I was putting the icing on it. It felt like very fluffy, like not like there was anything in it, just like, I don't know, kind of empty. And I was like, what's going on? And there's this TikTok with 2 million views where this girl who's a baker says that she has all of these box cakes and Betty Crocker changed it. So that way there's like less stuff. Um, you know, like less filling in there. And then they just tell you to put in a little bit more water, but they're charging the same price. So it's like you have food companies doing it. You have fashion companies doing it. Literally everyone is charging the same or more and the quality is less and worse quality. Yeah. Oh, wait, I did see that Betty Crocker TikTok and that one was so interesting to me. And my thought too is like, it can't just be inflation. I'm sorry. Like it's, there's something else going on here where like brands are also getting greedy. We're also consuming at a speed that we've never consumed before as a collective. It's not just that everything is getting more expensive because of inflation. Like there's another level here where we're also just like believing that we need so much stuff that we historically didn't need. And brands are taking advantage of us as consumers. They really are. And like, it's funny because so many of us, right, are like feeling the pinch and like every trip to the grocery store, you're like, oh my God, how did this get more expensive? And there must be so many people out there where like these three years have been the best ever for them because like Betty Crocker's making money off of that, you know, like uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, like there's so many people silently making so much money off of this. Yeah, no, you're so right. And it's also interesting, you mentioned Abercrombie & Fitch. I think that's another one that even like looping back to what you said about environments, like that was something that we associated with like a persona for so long. And the rebrand of Abercrombie & Fitch has been incredible. Like the way that Abercrombie & Fitch has come back and really just had this unbelievable hold of girls of our generation is honestly very admirable like it's so smart I would love to know the marketing team behind that and what else they've been responsible for like there are some brands who have done an incredible job of rebranding and really maintaining their hold on consumers 
And then you have some brands that have just kind of fallen off. Like, again, the Bath and Body Works of the world. Like, I'm sure they're doing fine, but they're definitely not doing what they did 20 years ago. Oh, definitely not. And I think, like, I when I was growing up, Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister were kind of, like, two sides of the same coin. They were actually usually, like, next to each other, like, at the malls that I would go to. And it's funny how Abercrombie and Fitch was able to rebrand. I don't know if Hollister will be able to do it as well because Abercrombie and Fitch, like you could wear that anywhere, but Hollister really leaned into the whole idea of like, I am a surfer girl on the beach in California, in Malibu, you know, wearing my Hollister. I don't know what I was doing as a kid in suburban New Jersey wearing like Hollister clothing, being like, oh my God, yeah, like in my beach girl aesthetic, you know? Like I wonder if Hollister rebrands they're probably going to have to wait until the springtime to do it. Like they wouldn't be able to make it happen now in December. Oh, I think about the Hollister rebrand all the time. And I'm really disappointed that it has not come back as strong as Abercrombie. And I think they did rebrand. They have rebranded, but I think it's tailored towards a little bit of a younger audience than Abercrombie currently is. And it's a little bit more... I don't know. I feel like the times I've walked into that store in the last couple of years, everything's always on clearance. Like it's, Mm. I think, intentionally branded to be like an affordable L Brands group. Like it's intentionally branded now to be like for younger consumers, like girls being dropped off at the mall for the first time. They have a lot of sweats. Mm. I have two sweat sets from there that I bought deep 2020 that are like some of the best sweats that I own. But it's not nearly as, yes, but it's not nearly as like trendy, I suppose, as it once was, and it doesn't feel nearly as exclusive. And I think about this a lot because I was a kid who grew up in Florida. So I did fit into that Hollister, like it Mm. made sense for my life. But what I think about is how they had these like, um, do you remember like the storefronts at the mall? Like Hollister had these piers in front of their stores, such a relic. And then you would go in and everything was like, of course, incredibly dark, but like so well branded. Like I remember their dressing rooms were not even labeled like men and women. It was dudes and Bettys. And like, where else did you have a store that like rebranded their dressing rooms to that extent? Like it was so specific. And like even even the cash registers had like surfboard shelves behind them. Like it was Mm -hmm. so well done as a store. And Abercrombie was kind of like that too. Like they had those animal heads everywhere, but it was not nearly as ultra specific as Hollister was. Yeah, they were more like Connecticut and, you know, Hollister was more like the coast, basically, (laughs) which is interesting. Yes. And Abercrombie was also a store that was like bought and rebranded for the masses. It was a hunting store, correct? It was like they sold like hunting clothing and like furs or something like that. And it was really branded for like older men going on hunting trips. And then it was purchased and like rebranded as like this kids store essentially for the masses every single thing that les wexner touched he's like let's make it for a sexy teenager girl you know what i mean like every single thing it's just so funny that this guy had victoria's secret abercrombie and fitch bath and body works like like what like you you think that he would have done one store for like i don't know a businessman i wonder if he did i maybe i'll look it up while we're on this call like i wonder if he did anything that was branded towards an older man, man, like an established businessman. But I think it was also really smart that he, again, from this marketing perspective, he took these stores where people were ready to spend money. He took this category of women, of mothers, and like really exploited them. Like my understanding of how the fast fashion model really became mainstream was Les Wexner is credited with being the first person to really have like market assessments. Like he was the first person to really go in and do surveys on how often people were going to the mall. And it was far more often than people realized. It was like women were there three times a week because they were housewives and had nowhere else to go with their kids during the winter. Like it was so smart to take this group of people and completely exploit them. Again, from that marketing perspective, awful on us as a consumer culture in the end, but like he created an industry that did not exist and he owned that industry. He was the one who was benefiting from mall culture. The first man to find the clitoris. Like he knew woman better than we know ourselves basically. <laughs> like like honestly, I can't believe that he was the one to figure it out. Um, and I'm surprised that like nobody else was doing those surveys looking back on it because now it's such a standard business practice. 
It's interesting that it's such a standard business practice, like we take it for granted. But I also feel like that's now how we think about like what we were saying, the sales, like allowing people to pretend that they are getting a sale or yeah, um, yeah it's just it's interesting. OK, so he did. I didn't realize Express was also part of L Brands. So there was Express for men. And there was a yeah. men's store called Structure. Oh, and they also acquired Henry Bendel, which I think is very interesting that recently closed. But that's also yeah. an ultra specific brand of like New York teenage girls in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Huh. That is interesting. Express makes sense because Express was kind of like, I mean, it's these were just like mall classics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't it interesting to think like all of these brands being owned by the same people, the same the same one man, like just this illusion of choice that we have as consumers. I think about that a lot in the yeah. in the world of it's cr- like I go to the mall and I think that I've gone into seven different stores, but I really just went into one man's playground seven different yeah. times. Oh my gosh. Is there anything about the Jeffrey Epstein of it all that we haven't gotten into? I mean, we talked a little bit about their connection, their friendship. And the friendship between Les Wexner and Jeffrey Epstein essentially was that he was his financial manager. He also gave him oh, like power of attorney after a certain point too, which oh. is like an insane thing to do. And like the mansion trade all the time that they spent together. There was even an interesting thing where people were talking about... Um, you know, that persona of Victoria from Victoria's Secret, like, who is she? This British socialite woman who hangs out with her dogs and, like, loves this. And it all matches up perfectly to Ghislaine Maxwell, which I think must have been a coincidence because the persona was created, like, before, you know, her and Jeff were hanging out with him. Um, But, yeah, it's, like, a British woman with short hair who kind of comes from money but is doing things on her own and, like, blah, blah, blah. Everything lines up exactly with... Galane. So I wonder if like when Les met her, if he was like, oh my God, this is her, like the Victoria it's meant to be. So there's just like a lot of creepy things that have, um, you know, been uncovered through the past. And they were still hanging out. You know, I always think with Jeffrey Epstein, who was hanging out with him before 2008 and after, because that was when he was convicted for the first time down in Florida. And he was found guilty of being a child sexual predator, basically. He hung out with Les like so often after, like he's staying at his guest house, all of this stuff. So for anyone who's like, oh my God, they were friends, but like they didn't know, no way. Like this man knew everything. He he was very in deep with him. Yeah, and I will link your Victoria's Secret episode in the show notes for people to go back into as well. Yeah, it's fun because we also talk a little bit about the models in the episode. And it's funny how, you know, these Victoria's Secret angels just became their own entities like these are people who these were kind of like the first influencers really to come from a company yeah they were i mean and there's so many models that also align with what we're discussing today like i mean even tyra banks like tyra banks is such an iconic character really in early 2000s media especially with america's next top model like she was someone who was really perpetuating these disgusting fashion standards through her work and still being wrapped up in the world of Victoria's Secret is also interesting because it's all kind of falling into the same culture, right? And Naomi Campbell and Jeffrey Epstein, like that's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's interesting that all of these people, no matter how much we revere them as individuals, like they're all falling into the same problems and the same traps and like essentially creating the same smoke and mirrors issues of beauty standards, well, fashion authentic, standards. right? Like yeah. so many people were like, Rihanna's going to do it different. It's going to be amazing. Like she'll be different than like the abusers. And then she has like Johnny Depp in her fashion show. And then it comes out that her practices are worse than Shane. And it's like, oh, okay. So maybe this brand isn't good either, which like, of course it's not like, how does anyone become a billionaire? Like corners yeah. are cut. That one breaks my heart because Rihanna is a yeah. huge climate advocate and like does incredible philanthropy around climate change. And mm-hmm. it's just... It's really disheartening, I think, to just start making these connections that like people are not all you want them to be. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Eco Chic. I hope you loved that conversation with Shannon. Like I said, I will have her Victoria's Secret episode linked in the show notes, as well as a couple of documentary recommendations and other articles if you want to learn more about anything that we talked about today. 
I really, really enjoyed this style of episode. It's kind of like pop culture investigative journalism-esque gossipy episode. And I love that it ties back to all of the themes that we care about here on this show, conscious consumerism, fast fashion, etc. There's just so much to think about and consider. And this was an episode that got me really excited to go down a big Wikipedia rabbit hole afterwards. So I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, if you want to see clips from our conversation, little videos or more explanations on any of this, all of my social links are always in the show notes. I'm sure the following week we'll have so many more conversations and we will be talking more and more about not just Lex Wexner and Jeffrey Epstein, but also the consumers of it all, like the people that were funding everything. And that was us being susceptible to these mall brands and really buying into this successful marketing for all of these brands. I look forward to the conversations again that are going to follow up this episode. So thanks so much for tuning in and I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.